still. I told Kurt that if you guys didn't sit close, I was going to start creeping back with the with the um, the stand here. So let's pray and we'll get right into it, okay? Our Lord and our God, O oh Father, what a glorious day it's been already focusing, Lord, on the fact that our God has come and made a sacrifice and has not just died, but has risen again, Father. What a blessing that is, Father. And uh, help us now as we seek to understand, um, speak, discuss uh, what it is for a sinful man to be justified before a holy and righteous God. Uh, be with us, Father. May the conversation go well. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so uh, welcome to session four on the order of sal- salvation, Ordo Salutis. Um, before we jump in, I want to give a little uh, analogy as to what we've gone over so far. Um, so in the order of what we've gone over, and, and I want this to be participatory, I want this to be inter- interact. I want there to be interaction, so that's why I'm down here. So feel free to, to speak up, and um, if you break the ice, more people will be willing to, to speak up. So what have we gone over first? What topics? I'll give you the first one, election. Then... Correct, the gospel call. Next, order salutis. You guys need to take notes. Regeneration, then, and it was together, but they're two different things, regeneration, then conversion. Uh, today we'll go over justification, and next week, adoption. Uh, now, I kind of go over that because we can take everything after election, which was predated creation, right? Everything else, and make a helpful analogy about that, and that um, is that it. It, it, there is an order to it, but we experience it at a moment. So the analogy goes like this. You walk into a room, and the room is dark. What is the first thing that you do? Turn, turn the light on. Yeah, look for the light, turn the light on, okay? So what happens when you turn the light on? What actually happens? You break it down. Darkness goes away. How about this? You, you, you turn the switch on. The electricity flows from the switch to the light, right? The light then goes out, it encounters objects that then bounce to your eye, your eye sends that signal to your brain, and you see, right? So can you distinguish any step in that in real time? You can't, right? It's, it's instantaneous. So as we talk about these things, it's important to say that there's, there's not this state of people that are going around who, who are, are um, regenerate, but they're not converted, right? They're converted, but they're not justified. This, this is, it happens in a moment. But there is a real order to this. And when you twist or you get wrong the order of these things, the implications are, are quite, um, they're quite big. They're, they're quite impactful. So um, hopefully that, that's a helpful analogy. If you take any step out of that, that, that process, right, uh, you don't have sight. However, they happen in such rapid succession uh, unified succession, that each individual event is indistinguishable from one another. Uh, that's how we've been discussing the Order Salutis thus far. Actual, real distinctions that happen in rapid succession, but we experience them uh, as one moment there. However, if you miss, uh, miss uh, the, the order of this, the implications are profound. Today we'll take a look at justification, um, biblically, but we're going to contrast this primarily with a Roman Catholic understanding of the doctrine, okay? We will see the profound differences that emerge when getting the Ordo Salutis wrong and conflating these biblically defined events. Now, um, I need somebody to read a passage for me in just a second. I have a volunteer. 
It'll be a voluntold if I don't have one. Susan, please, you can turn to Romans 3, and we'll get there in just a second. Now, here's a question. You guys have been quiet. You were in quiet during the service. Please speak up. How would you define justification? Wrong answers are okay at the beginning. How would you define justification? Short definition. If you don't know, that's fine. Susan, again, thank you. Being declared righteous, yes. Anybody else? Your penalty has been paid for. If your penalty has been paid for, yeah, I think we'll, we'll click close, yeah. Yeah, very good, very good. Declared righteous when they're innerly unrighteous. Very good. Um, the act of making one righteous in the sight of God um, is the most concise way that I could put that. Of course, it's much bigger than that. Uh, Romans 3, 21 through 26. Can you read it first, Susan? Amen. There's so much there. Uh, I want to focus in on the last verse there, uh, which I had read countless times before I was a believer, um, but it never struck me as even give it a second of thought, right? That God is both just and the justifier of sinful man. Um, that idea is uh, so um, profound if we stop to consider that, stop to meditate upon that. Um, consider this, no earthly judge, no earthly king can make a person righteous. Does that make sense? They, can, they cannot justify them. Um, they can pardon them, right? We see that. Uh, who, who do presidents, who do kings pardon? What type of people? Criminals, guilty people, okay? Now, no doubt we have pardon from our sins in Christ. Absolutely. That's different from justification. Justification is being pronounced just, being pronounced righteous. If a judge were to um, pronounce a person who was absolutely guilty, pronounce them not guilty, innocent, what would you say about that judge? What's that? Corrupt judge, absolutely. That judge would be a criminal himself, right? You guys follow me? Does that make sense? If a, if a judge is saying, when there's no dispute, this person is guilty, and the judge says this person is not guilty, overrules the jury, we say that judge himself is a criminal. Yet God is both just and the justifier of criminals, right? Transgressors of the law. So when presidents, when kings pardon criminals, there's often controversy that surrounds that, right? It seems like every president, as he's going to leave the, the White House, he does his, his laundry list of pardons. And there was controversy, and they say things. You hear him say things like, well, he was a this, and he was a that, and how could he do that? And the truth of the matter is, every person that's ever been pardoned was a criminal, right? So if you're trying to make the case that they didn't deserve to be pardoned, then you'll make that case because they were all in, in prison for their deeds. But uh, God pardons us and also justifies us. He makes us righteous. Uh, no office or institution on earth can make a guilty man just. Um, consider this. When there's, a, when there's a court case and a person, uh, the defendant stands there, they're found guilty or what? Guilty or what? He's, speak up. Not guilty. Not guilty, right? People say innocent. I would have said innocent too. 
They're not pronounced innocent, are they? Why not? Guilty or not guilty. They're charged with a crime. They're pronounced not guilty of that crime. But every defendant is, is guilty, right? Every defendant is guilty of crimes, and no judge, no, no earthly institution can say that person is innocent. They can't know that. God pronounces his children as, as innocent. So um, it, there, it's interesting that there's no correlation in our, in our system. Uh, another verse for you guys. Um, Steve, would you mind reading 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11? Amen. So that was a text that I used yesterday at the abortion mill because of the idea that um, just what, they, what we hear from the people that are there, what they think we are. They think we're self-righteous people and um, all manner of things, but I, I read this in it. There's a laundry list of deplorable, wretched, wicked sins, right? Um, and such were some of you. But you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Absolutely absolved of your sin, your debt paid, the propitiation made. But more than that, you were pronounced righteous before a righteous God. So with this understanding of how God not only pardons a guilty sinner, he actually makes them justified. I want to take a look at Rome's understanding uh, of justification. So uh, follow me. Don't misunderstand me. I'll be saying things that are not true because it's Rome's understanding. But if you zone out, you might hear something strange. So track with me. Uh, I remember having a discussion with a devout Catholic friend of mine um, in Florida and uh, being a, a Protestant. You know, He asked me and he, with a laugh, uh, what are you protesting? If I asked you, or I asked the average Protestant what you're protesting, or the origin of our name, what would you say? What are we protesting? What are Protestants protesting? What were they if we're not in a state of protest now? Are you raising your hand? Okay. Very good. It's definitely part of it. Do you have your hand up? Anybody else? What were they? Indulgences. Those, that was all part of it. Anybody else? Wrong answers are okay. Mm-hmm. Those were all. Those were all issues in the Reformation. But if we had to pin it down to a single item, um, Luther said, the idea that man is justified by faith alone is the very article by which the church stands or falls. So all of those, all those answers are a part of that mix, but it was the idea that man is justified by faith alone. Okay? And that's super important because... The Catholics believe that you're justified by faith. If you we, we create, I, I grew up with these straw men about what Rome teaches. They teach that you're justified by faith, along with your good works. Right? But we believe that we are justified by faith alone; that it is God who has done it. 
alone. This is an issue of salvation. And we must understand, as defined by the Scriptures, um, our English word of justification comes from the Latin word justificare. This is the word used in the Latin Vulgate. And the Roman Church imported the understanding of the word from the Roman legal system, where, just, where justification meant, or justificare meant, to make righteous. So you see already there, there, there in, there's an imported meaning in that, to make righteous. So the question of how is one made acceptable to God was answered by the creation of a doctrine that stated a person must be sanctified to the point by which he can be justified in the sight of God. Make sense? This Again, follow me. <laughs> this is Roman teaching. We protested against that. We say that it's not scriptural. They teach that a person must be sanctified. They must be holy enough to be justified before a holy God. That sounds logical, at least to a fallen person, does it not? There's something there, right? we got to do something. In fact, that's every world religion, isn't it? Every world religion is essentially man does something to get to God. And that's, this is no different. But Christianity stands in stark contrast because it's not man-made, right? God did what we could not do. So, I keep losing my place when I look up. Uh, the Reformers, however, uh, with the mantra, ad fonte, or ad fontis, to, back to the sources, uh, to the fountain, took the Greek meaning of the word for justification. And just on a side note, that was, that was why they, that was a mantra of the, of the Reformers, back to the sources, back to the fountain. So as they'd been using the Vulgate at this point, 500 some odd years, uh, maybe actually not a thousand years, um, th- that they, they were just receiving uh, man's understanding after man's understanding for, for centuries now. They said, let's go back to the Hebrew. Let's go back to the Greek. And just in this one issue, they had a different understanding. They, they found the, the Greek word for justification as, as diko asinai, I'm not sure of the pronunciation, <laughs> meaning to declare righteous, not to make righteous. So you see the difference. To declare righteous, not to, to, to make right, or to make righteous, not to um, to declare righteous, not make righteous. The reformers, therefore, understood by necessity that justification must precede what? Sanctification. Thank you. Justification must precede sanctification. It's not that we work ourselves into a state of being justified before a holy God, but to even offer up any acceptable uh, works to a holy God, we must first be innocent before him. Make sense? So for over 500 years, we've held a differing ordo salutis from that of Rome. These are not small issues. They, they sound very similar, but the implications, uh, the, under, the implications are the difference between being justified and not being justified by their, their own testimony, right? By Rome's teaching, they would say the same. So how then is one justified by a Roman understanding of justification? Just, justification is obtained through the sacerdotal functions of the church. 
Sacerdotal means a doctrine which uh, ascribes sacrificial functions and spiritual or supernatural powers to ordained priests. So therefore, justification takes place through the process of participating in the sacraments. The first one being, what's the first uh, sacrament in Roman Catholicism? Baptism. Sorry about the bottle, Kurt. Big bottle. So yes, the first one being baptism. This is uh, this understood to be automatic. Okay, so th- this happens at baptism. I remember uh, a movie called um, Nacho Libre. I don't know if you guys have seen it, where it's a it's a crazy movie. Um, he's a luchador. He's a priest, and he's really concerned with his friend because his friend hasn't been baptized. Okay, and his friend's an atheist. His tag team partner. So he sneaks up behind him with a with a bowl of water, puts it in front of him, and he, he dunks his head. And there, and there he's been baptized, right? It's silly. It was a comedy, right? But by by that logic, right? If that's what has to be done, it's consistent in a sense. You know, it was a, it was a comedy, but now he's been baptized. He's good, right? Um, it, it, to be fair, uh, Rome does say that a person has to at least not have open hostility. Toward, so they set the bar low. They can't have open hostility towards God when they are baptized, but it's there. Uh, so in an act of love, um, I'm sorry, that's from when Nacho baptizes his teammate. Now at baptism, Rome believes a person's soul is infused with grace, that can increase or decrease as a person lives, okay? This is not a biblical view of grace uh, as unmerited favor of God, rather in an understanding that would be closer to our understanding of the Holy Spirit. So they're infused with some power to cooperate with God through the process of sanctification to therefore one, at one point present themselves before God to be justified. But it gets more complicated than that. Now, if a person has been infused with grace through baptism and is a willing participant in the works of righteousness, they are in a state of justification, according to Rome. So I've heard before, I've heard Roman Catholics who uh, are practicing and familiar with the doctrine refer to people that say that you can actually be in a state of justification and not lost, that God actually holds you in his hands, that we are prideful people, that we're arrogant, presumptuous people, that the Roman Catholic understanding is humble because they're always offering their good works to God to accept them. Um, it's interesting, though. They don't, they don't see that portion of it, but uh, to understand the thinking there. So this grace they're infused with, that they're cooperating with in their justification, it can be diminished or lost altogether. A person can lose his state of justification, placing him on a path to damnation by committing what? A mortal sin. It's called a mortal sin because it causes the death of the infused grace imparted at baptism. 
So what is one to do if they committed mortal sin? Don't worry, Rome has created a doctrine for that. Another sacrament. Penance, right? Um, in the 16th century, Rome described penance as the second plank of justification for those who've made a shipwreck of their faith. A second plank to justification. Do you see? These, these are important things. Okay? I remember, I, um, I, I, again, I was raised with a, really a caricature of what Rome teaches, and so um, I got a job driving uh, for uh, a tutoring company, and they had a, a van that only got AM radio, and the, just a few stations, and they had a, like a Catholic apologist that was on there, and so I'd listen to them, and I was like, you know, they, they have a well-crafted, underst- wrong understanding of these things. They have a well-crafted lie regarding these things. Uh, penance involves confession, absolution, and absolution by a priest, um, and evidence of good works in accordance with that penance. Uh, we must be careful, again, to not characterize a drop straw in when understanding Roman doctrine. Uh, we want to understand the truth so well that any, if you know what currency looks like, the American currency, and you see a, a, a counterfeit bill, easily recognizable. We want to be so familiar with our understanding of what justification is, we can recognize any error. But it's helpful to understand where, where the deviation came. Uh, we only serve to validate Roman Catholics' opinion of us being uneducated when we say things like Rome believes in salvation through works, Rome believes in justification by faith. Uh, the small single word that everything hinges on is what? You're saved by faith alone. Alone. Uh, listen to our confession states the doctrine of justification in chapter 11. Those whom God effectually calleth, he also freely justifieth, not by infusing righteousness into them. Sound, sound familiar? You see the direct counter-argument there? Not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting their person as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone. Not by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience to them as, the righteousness, as their righteousness, but by imputing Christ. Uh, I'm sorry, Christ's act of obedience unto the whole law and passive obedience into his death for their whole for their whole and sole righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves, it is a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Somebody read Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 for me, please. Thank you. Very good, very good. <clears throat> God is the justifier of us. So our justification is at the at, just at our time of conversion. Right? We talked about the light switch analogy, and that you can you can cut these things into separate constituent parts, but they happen 
essentially experientially at one moment. When we are justified, of course, we'll get into the sanctification in later messages. That, that is a, the lifetime. But nothing can change our standing before God. Why not? I mean, this is, this is, uh, a, this is uh, a topic that Christians disagree of. You can take it to an extreme, I guess, that puts you outside of orthodoxy. There are Christians, I believe, are regenerate that believe they can lose their salvation. In the context of justification here, what, what, is, what is the response to that? If, if somebody comes to you and they've, they've... Again, most of these things that we talk about, most of these things that we discuss that theologically that there's differences is um, people uh, are thinking that they are defending God Rightly, they're, 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 they're desiring, to, to put the best construction on things, they're desiring to say, well, you know, if I do this, then, then I'm lost because God's holy, right? They're, they're trying to, to defend God rightly, but they're defending the wrong God, essentially. So, ex- explain it to me because I don't understand, I'm sorry. So, how do we respond in the, in the context of a person thinking that they can lose their justification before God. We, we say things like, you lose your salvation, but that would mean that they are no longer justified. They're no longer seen as righteous uh, before God. Okay, I know, okay. So he made, well, yeah, that's problematic right there, right? <laughs> Very good. What, what, is, what is the biblical response? There you go. That's great. Absolutely. I remember hearing um, a quote by MacArthur. It was so great. He said, uh, if you could lose your salvation, you would. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Any person who's gotten downwind from themselves can totally understand that. Um, So from Spurgeon here. Just one more word here, and then I will leave this matter of justification. Those who are once justified are justified irreversibly. As soon as the sinner takes Christ's place and Christ takes the sinner's place, there is no fear of a second change. So no, what was the the Roman, um, no second plank of justification, right? If Christ has once paid the debt, the debt is paid, and it will never be asked again. As I mentioned earlier, uh, from a fallen sense, some of what Rome has come up with, it almost seems logical, right? When, when you hear the truth explained, it's like, oh yes, that, that's it, right? If God has done it, that's why, right? Because God has done it. If you are pardoned, you are pardoned once forever. God does not give a man a free pardon under his own sin manual and then afterwards retract it and punish man. That be far from God to do so. He says, I have punished who? We believe that God has punished Christ, yes. Um, I punished Christ. You may go free. And after that, we may rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now I hear uh, one cry that is an extraordinary doctrine. Well, some may think, but... Let me say this to you. It is a doctrine professed by all Protestant churches, though they may not preach it, 
It is the doctrine of the Church of England. It is the doctrine of Luther. It is the doctrine of the Presbyterian Church. It is professedly the doctrine of all Christian churches. If it seems strange in your ears, it is because your ears are estranged, not because the doctrine is a strange one. It is the doctrine of holy writ that none can condemn whom God justifies and that none can accuse those of whom Christ has died for. They are all totally free from sin. So now, Christian, brother, sister, if you are in Christ, you are justified. Do you remember that laundry list of sins that we went through? It, it describes all of us. There was something in there for all of us. There may have been multiple things in there for us, but the list would be much longer if it was just, just our lives. If you are in Christ, you are justified, uh, not by anything you've done, but by the complete work of Christ. Every Christian will produce good works, right? Some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. I forgot those right. Um, they will produce. We, uh, in family worship, we talk about this. You can have a very sick, uh, a very unhealthy fruit tree, but if it's a fruit tree, it's going to produce fruit, okay? Um, you don't have to go out and tape oranges onto your tree to make it an orange tree. It, orange trees produce fruits. You have ones that produce tons of fruit, some a little, but that's what they do. That's what God designed them to do. Every Christian will produce good works, not to be justified, but because they have been justified. So this is fuel for living, okay? If you know your sin, if you are cognizant of the ways, the magnitude, the small things. I remember hearing it stated time and time again by a, 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 a pastor that I sat in for a while. Every single war, every murder, every child molestation, every rape, all stemmed from a bite of a fruit. Right? There's no small sin. Um, our sins are egregious before a holy God. You've been forgiven that. Not only pardoned. Pardoned. Not only pardoned. Justified. This is fuel in our tank. This is fuel for living. The perfect obedience of Christ applied to our life, should be a continual meditation in our minds, in our life, right? The, when, when, you're, when you're frustrated, when you're failed, when you, when all of these things that come and, and plague us, and uh, we don't feel spiritual enough at times, you don't feel good enough in our, in our job, in our, as a spouse, uh, all, all of these things, all right? Christ perfectly did everything, right? In active and passive obedience on the cross, took the, the, the wrath of the Father on your behalf, and then death and, re, and burial resurrection has declared you justified because of what he has done. Fuel in our, in our tanks. Questions regarding that? Questions? Uh, any question at all? If they're hard, I'll just pass them off to the elders. Mm-hmm. Yes, I can. So it was there. Um, let me look at my notes. It was, they translated justification, or we get our word, our English word justification uh, as from the, from the, the Latin uh, justificari, which was a term, a forensic term in Rome 2,000 years ago, and it was to, um, let me look up the definition of it. 
to make righteous, not to be pronounced righteous, to make righteous. So Rome imported this idea of being made righteous through sanctification. That was the process, right? So all the more, re- of course, the, the Holy Spirit illuminates. You, you can read a less than, uh, than optimal translation of the Scriptures, and the Holy Spirit will speak if that's what you have. But, you know, there's some intentionality in this, I believe. But it, they import that, that whole idea comes with just that little difference, to be pronounced righteous or to make righteous. So they say to make righteous means you, you are infused with grace at baptism, you don't lose it by not committing mortal sins, and then you working out your sanctification to produce justification. You never know where you are. You got to get all the last rites, all that. Yeah, it has to take place, and hopefully, hopefully, and even if not, you get a second chance to be purged in, in purgatory. Um, but Christian uh, justification says we are pronounced justified by nothing we've done. The completed, perfect work of Christ. Anything else? We would say at, at a moment, but yeah, there's a process leading up to it, and then yeah, at a moment. Yeah. Being justified. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very good. I think Spurgeon said, um, loose quote, that the, uh, the Lord has given us in the Scriptures a deathbed conversion, but only one that we would not presume upon, like that's the way things go, but not to be without hope. Yeah. That was great. I, I, you know, I don't know that. I didn't mean I know I ran into a Church of Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they have an answer because they have lots of answers. <laughs> we know the Father. <laughs> um, I, I had that. I had that question. I uh, met a um, Church of Christ. I was in a, in a line for, I think it was Disneyland or something like that. Just talking, passing out tracks in the, in the conversation. And I didn't know at the time, this was years ago, they believe in baptismal regeneration, or I don't think they use that term. Um, they believe you have to be baptized to be saved. And I asked, you know, what about the thief on the cross? And he goes, that was the Old Testament. <laughs> so they, they get asked these questions. They have answers. They're not biblical answers, but they have answers. Anything else?
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I spent more than half my life being a false professor of faith, you know. So, so I so I understand that um, any doctrine that's absolutely one hundred percent true and biblical, taken by itself, right? Private interpretation of you, uh, devoid of the rest of the scripture, you'll get weird ideas. I mean, if you just you just take that one idea, Christianity is I'm justified. Okay, now. I think that Luther, within a generation, his followers had fallen into antinomianism already, right? And he's a champion of by faith alone, right? Well, that's in their mind and nothing else, right? So yeah, absolutely. The, a, a, a justified person will produce fruit. And so those evidences are evidences of what's happened, and they must be there, absolutely, yeah. Um, any doctrine taken by itself will... You, know, you take election, right? Like the frozen chosen, that's, that's just... God's going to do what he's going to do. That's, that's true. But he's also commanded us to do stuff. So you get weird ideas if you take a, any doctrine and just run with it by itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should have put that in there, right? <laughs> Our sin debt's not zero. It's at 100% righteous because of Christ. Mm-hmm. 
So you could say infused righteousness. I think they use the term infused grace, which is not the same, but would be similar in our understanding to the Holy Spirit. So we we can grieve the Spirit, right? We we don't lose the Spirit. We can grieve the Spirit. We can become more sensitive to the Spirit. We can live a Spirit-filled life, or we can grieve the Spirit through chronic, unrepentant sin and struggles. And so our life will look more or less righteous, depending on how we, we yield. So that similar to how they understand that, that infusing of the ability. Before, you didn't have the ability, right? But now you've been infused with this grace that you can begin to make deposits in your sanctification bank to one day be justified. And, and we say everything, every work is done by a regenerate heart that now loves the Lord imperfectly, now desires to honor our Father through works that we offer as, as a love sacrifice. Like we love our God, so we will do... There's nothing meritorious in our motivation. God, because... Or there, there can be, but there shouldn't be. <laughs> God, I, you, your word says this. Your word is truth. Your word is good for me. Your commandments are for my safety. I love them. I love your law. I want to do these things. Help me do them. Totally different mindset. Totally different purpose then. I, I'm, I'm doing my religious... You know, the, the whole idea... Um, I think somebody mentioned earlier when I asked about the, the issue of the Reformation. They mentioned indulgences. And that was one of the huge uh, things for Luther when he went to Rome and he saw that Tetzel, right? And this, this idea that you're, you're, so, you're so cheapening and you're making it so transactional, like just making stuff up, just making up rules about what God wants. Like, and so and he was plagued with the idea of how does he become, how, does he, how is he made right before God? A sinful man made right before just the Holy God. So if you're evangelizing, God's word is powerful, even if they don't acknowledge it to have the power it does, right? It doesn't return void. So it it does what it does. God is sovereign. So there's that, right? Um, If you're reasoning through things, they say they have, I I think Protestants say that Catholics have a three-legged stool. They have the the papacy, tradition, and the scriptures, right? They're kind of all holding up. if you go far one way, it's the scriptures alone apart from any sort of tradition. Uh, tradition doesn't determine truth, but I think if we're the first people to ever walk the earth to have a certain understanding of the scriptures, that's not in any believer ever, it's probably wrong, right? So you can look to tradition to say, am I understanding the scriptures the way that the church has understood the scriptures, right? But it's very different. I think I lost myself in answering your question. <laughs> Yeah. So, how, if they don't, if they don't put the emphasis on scripture that 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 is r- real, how do you how do you? Well, what comes to my mind, right? What comes to my mind? Um, I know because Catholics have believed a lot of things uh, uh, formally, right? Even Vatican II kind of throwing away with everything else, but it's still there. Um, Trent says that if any man says he is justified by faith alone, he's anathema, right? So um, <laughs> they have anathematized biblical doctrine, essentially. And so this idea that, I guess, I don't know if it's me, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, I would ask them, like, so, so your good works, are those, are those is, that, is that righteous? Are these good things, right? So 
when you stand before the Lord, you will say, I, God, I've worked myself here with this, this righteousness. Now, they, they don't believe in works righteousness by itself. They believe faith plus. That's the, the issue is plus. Faith plus works, right? And like, that diminishes Christ, right? Like, Christ's, Christ was enough. Christ was enough. And so that's a diminished view of the atonement. It's a diminished view of, of all of that because Christ wasn't enough in, in that view. Make sense? Yeah. No. We done? Any other questions? It was a good conversation. I know if you guys start talking, more people will talk. That's a great point. I didn't even think about that. That's a great point. <laughs> so we believe this idea that you can live how, according to Rome, we can live however we want, we're just saved, and they have to produce sanctification to be justified. You would think that the tangible living would be demonstrably better. Right? That's a great point. And then, <laughs> Yeah, the Middle Ages would suggest far otherwise. All right, let's pray, brother. Father God, oh Lord, uh, everything, everything starts uh, with you and is pointed to you, Father. Glorious is your name, Father. Thank you for the mercy you've had on wretched sinners, Lord. Uh, Totally oblivious to the glories of who you are. You called us by name, Father. You crushed your perfect son. Father, you pardoned us. You sanctifying us, Lord. You justified us by your own gift of Christ, Father. Thank you for this. Thank you for this day, Father. I pray that you would help us to understand these things better. Father, be uh, with those of us who have uh, relatives that are religious but not converted, Father, and all of the different understandings. Father, may your truth uh, do what it does. Cut through air, bring life to stony hearts, illuminate minds, uh, unstop ears, Father. Give the breath of life spiritually to those who we care about and pray for. Father, thank you again for this day and for this time. Thank you for Christ, Father, we pray in his name. Amen.